0: Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we're very pleased today to have Dr. Gotham Mancaney, who is a staff physician in the Department of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition here at the Cleveland Clinic. Welcome to Butts and Guts. Thank you for having me. So I always like to start out with all of our guests and just give a little bit of background. Where you're from? Where'd you train, how to come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic? Great.
1: So uh, I was born in Hong Kong, and I moved to the West Coast when I was 10, Uh, then started my medical training in the Midwest at the Ohio State, and I've been in love with the the Midwest ever since, completed fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic, and I was really inspired by my interactions with patients and the staff, so I decided to stay.
0: Well, fantastic. And again, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And we're going to talk today about colorectal cancer screening guidelines, and You know, March colorectal cancer awareness month. We know that colorectal cancer in and of itself is, depending on the year, the second or third leading cause of cancer-related death in the United States. And a part of this, I always tell my patients, is that colorectal cancer is one of the ones that we can detect early or even get in the precancerous stage. And so we're going to really focus upon that today. So before we get into the details about screening, can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of an overview? We've had this on the past, but... What is colorectal cancer and, you know, and and how does somebody develop into this cancer and what are some of the risk factors for that? So
1: cancer essentially is when cells start dividing abnormally and escape their growth cycle and then turn into little growths. When that happens in your colon or rectum, it's called colorectal cancer. Generally, it starts off with a little piece of tissue that grows over time. That's a 10 to 20-year process, and uh, eventually you get your cancer. Now, risk factors for colon cancer include, um, so think of all the unhealthy things. So eating a lot of red meat, eating a lot of processed meat, lack of physical uh, activity, or uh, um, not eating that many vegetables. Some people have other risk factors, which they're born with, so genetic factors. They have a lot of colorectal cancer in their family, or they have a syndrome in which people get colorectal cancer. So there's many components that increase your risk of having it.
0: You know, one of the things that we talk about in terms of treatment of colorectal cancer is the colon and the rectum, we tend to bring those together. But just in general, an overview, how is colorectal cancer treated?
1: So when you find the cancer early, that's when it's either a pre-cancer or a very early stage cancer. So it hasn't moved anywhere else in the body or it hasn't grown past the area of the colon or the rectum. Uh, Many times we can endoscopically treat it. That's uh, through a procedure where we just cut it right out. Once it grows past that, then we have to use the expertise of uh, other physicians on our team. So uh, depending on the stage and how widespread it is, it may mean chemotherapy, radiotherapy, or uh, surgery and uh, depending on where you are in the organ, too. So the colon is uh, a meter to a meter and a half long. The very end of it is uh, called the rectum. That's where stool collects before you uh, uh, poop it out. Um, And so depending on where you are in the colon determines what type of treatment you get.
0: So we're gonna focus in now on colorectal cancer screening methods, and we'll just talk about the different tests themselves. And so uh, some of these are used more often and some of these are used less often and are maybe even a, a little bit more historical or very specific incidence purposes. But let's first start out with either a barium enema or an air contrast barium enema. What is that?
1: There are many types of tests to look for colon cancer. Some of these tests are stool-based tests and some uh, allow direct visualization. Direct visualization means uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Now in that uh, category, you have uh, imaging tests. Uh, And that's where your barium enema falls in. So essentially what the radiologists do is they uh, instill barium into your colon. Barium is something uh, that you can uh, visualize with some sort of x-ray machine. And what they're looking for is those little bumps, the growths I talked about on the inside lining of your colon. And when they see it, they assume it's either a cancer or a big polyp.
0: So you also talked about direct imaging tests and there's something that's called a flexible sigmoidoscopy and a colonoscopy. What are the differences between the two and why would you use one versus the other? So a colonoscopy
1: and a flexible sigmoidoscopy, what essentially it is, is a thin long tube with a camera on the end and it allows you to see inside the organ. Now a colonoscopy allows you to see the whole colon. So it's longer than a meter and it helps you get to the very end of the colon. Prior to a colonoscopy, you have to do a bowel prep to improve your visualization. A sig, the way I like to think about it is it's a half colonoscopy. So it only sees the distal end, the end of the uh, colon, and mostly the rectum. Now the good news about a sig is you don't need a bowel prep, but one of the cons about it is you don't get to see the whole colon. And we know you get colon cancers on the left side and the right side, the right side being
0: the far end. So why would you get a flexig in and of itself?
1: A couple reasons to get a sig. One is if you don't want a colonoscopy, let's say, or if you have symptoms which make us think, oh, maybe there's something going on in the rectum. Uh, perhaps if you're on the younger side. Uh, in younger people, we tend to see colon cancers on the left side of the colon, so that's the far end. Um, those are the re- reasons to do
0: a sig. And one of the other things you mentioned is this category talking about stuff in the stool, whether it be a fecal occult blood test, um, a stool sample that you get sent home with, or even the newer ones, the stool DNA. What are those all about? And then if they're positive, what happens next?
1: Uh, When that little growth turns into a cancer, uh, like I said earlier, it takes about 20 years in that process, it may start bleeding. um, And sometimes you don't see that blood. It may be just a drop or two of blood. So what these other stool-based tests do is they try and find that blood that the little cancers or the polyps uh, uh, lose into your colon. Again, you may not be able to see it. So the plus side is you don't need a colonoscopy if it's negative, but if you find something with these stool-based tests, you still don't know what's causing the bleeding. You still don't know uh, where it is. So you still will
0: need a colonoscopy if positive. And so how are these stool DNA tests, how, how are they done and what are they testing for?
1: So blood has uh, two components to it. It's a protein and it uh, also has a ring that holds iron in it. So depending on the type of stool-based test you use, uh, it's looking at the different components of that protein. So you may have heard of fecal immunochemical testing or FIT testing, that's one type, or uh, fecal occult blood testing. Now, as you had uh, um, asked earlier, we have these newer tests that look at DNA. So when these uh, cells that turn into polyps or turn into cancer, when they, uh, I mean, something's wrong with them. They're not your typical body cells. So they have weird or abnormal DNA. They shed that into your stool. So these new tests are also looking for that DNA.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important, again, to just highlight the fact that you do oftentimes need to have a follow-up test to see what's going on that often involves a colonoscopy. So truth or myth, a colonoscopy is the best screening and prevention tool for colorectal cancer.
1: So I'm a little biased on this one because I am a gastroenterologist, but I think that's the truth. And the reason I think it's the truth is uh, it allows you not only to find the cancer or find the precancers, but you get to take them out at the same time.
0: So before we kind of go on here, you mentioned something earlier about having a colonoscopy and the worst part, or the I guess the part that a lot of people fear more than anything is the PrEP. Can you kind of explain the process of the PrEP? Why do you do it? and what to be expected and kind of like take some of the mystery out of this bowel prep yeah absolutely
1: so uh, polyps are tiny polyps again are those precancers. and cancers can be very tiny they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes uh, they can be completely flat and they sit on the inside lining of your colon now they range in size from a millimeter to one or two centimeters if you have a little stool left in there covering that polyp you may not be able to see it So the purpose of the prep is to clean out all that stool to give uh, uh, you the best possible chance of finding all those lesions. Previously, preps used to be large quantity. So you had to drink four liters of fluid, and that's hard for anyone to do. uh, And it only came in one flavor. So now we've come up with all these types of preps that come in different quantities, different tastes, um, and different ways of taking it to make the process easier for you.
0: Yeah, and as someone who tries to practice what they preach, I can tell you that, you know, the prep, not as bad as I thought it was, and it's certainly something, and the easy test to be able to do so that we can get a colonoscopy. So the last thing that gets asked is, can't you just get the CT scan, a CT colonography, and... Yeah, how does that roll in terms of screening or surveillance? And do you have to take a prep with that?
1: I think you hit on a really good point with that question. So so part of the, the two types of tests, direct visualization and stool-based tests. Under direct visualization, you have CT tests. Um, and that's basically a CAT scan of your colon. Um, and they're looking kind of like that barium enema. They're looking for growths inside your colon. Uh, pros to it are it's a CAT scan. It's quick. But some cons that people don't think about is you still need to prep. You still need to get the stool out of your colon in order to see those uh, polyps and precancers. You have to do it more frequently uh, than colonoscopy. And then you're getting a little small dose of radiation as well.
0: Now we're here to focus on screening guidelines. And so I think the first question to, uh, very briefly, what's the difference between screening and surveillance?
1: Good question. So if you are an average risk person, that means you're an individual who doesn't have a predisposition towards developing colon cancer, and you're coming for your first test. We call it screening. That usually starts somewhere between the ages of 45 and 50. If we find a polyp or we find a cancer or you have some sort of risk factor, let's say you have a genetic condition that predisposes you towards colon cancer, uh, uh, then we call it surveillance because you're a higher risk to have something in there.
0: Yeah, and I, I know we're going to get into this a little bit, but it also affects how often we need to get these uh, these screening or surveillance methods. So you did talk a little bit earlier, touched on this, but specifically now as it relates to when you should get a screening or surveillance examination. How do these risk factors of family history or even race play into the timing of when you should get your first examination?
1: Yeah, so uh, traditionally we used to say your first examination starts at 50 years old um, and it went from 50 to 75. What we know is, as far as race goes, that African-Americans have higher rates of colon cancer, and when they get colon cancer, it's at a later stage. So what our society guidelines, uh, that's uh, several experts who who study this subject, recommended that if you're African-American, you start at 45. Now we've been screening for almost two decades, and we're finding that colon cancer uh, rates are decreasing, except young people are getting more cancer because of young people getting more cancer the american cancer society has recommended that everyone should start at 45. so right now the start age that i tell people is if you're african-american 45 and then for everyone else at average risk somewhere between 45 and 50.
0: yeah and also how does family history play into this apart from the genetic syndromes that you mentioned earlier but If my first degree relative, my mom, my dad had colorectal cancer at age 50, would that affect the timing of when I get my first examination?
1: Absolutely. So in your family, uh, if your dad had colon cancer at 50, let's say, then you would start 10 years before that. So you would start at 40. So if there's any colon cancer in a first degree relative, so that's your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, or your kids, you start 10 years younger than when they had their colon cancer or at the age 40 whichever came first. If you have multiple first-degree relatives, then you start at 40 as well.
0: You mentioned briefly about this kind of ongoing thing that's even hit the lay media that talks a little bit about the rise in colorectal cancer in young people in that it's essentially doubled since the, you know, uh, as young as their 20s 20 since the 1980s. Why do you think we're seeing a higher number of younger colorectal cancer patients?
1: You know, it, it, it is a, a, an alarming rise because it's in such young people. When we see cancers in them, we're finding a lot more of these genetic syndromes that I was talking about. So that's one possibility. But the other big reason is I think we're changing as people. We're becoming more unhealthy, as I touched upon in the beginning. So uh, our younger generation, uh, less physical activity, more obesity, more processed foods, more red meat, we think this is all playing into their higher cancer rates.
0: So we talked a little bit about the fact of when you get your first examination. I know there's a lot of nuances and in individuality, So, but it's, and it's hard to break, uh, say, sweeping recommendations, but in general, well, if a person gets a colonoscopy, when should they get their next colonoscopy, and how does the findings of that first colonoscopy affect when you'd get that follow-up? If you have a
1: normal colonoscopy, you can assume that you're gonna have one per decade. So one every 10 years.
0: Assuming you're at average risk. Assuming
1: you're at average risk. If you have something in your colonoscopy, whether it's a polyp uh, or a cancer, we look at all sorts of factors. We'll look at the size of the polyp, the number of the polyps and the type of polyp it is. So we send it to a pathologist, a doctor that will look at it under a microscope and tell us what type of polyp it is. And based on that, we'll determine how often your interval is. Now, those intervals usually vary between three to five years for the most part. On a rare case, if it's very high risk, we'll do it every year.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a good point. And even sometimes you might find something that we think is a polyp, it turns out to be essentially just a benign growth that has nothing to do with polyps and that at interval may extend out to 10 years. So it's important that you discuss with your doctor when you should get that next follow-up scope. So we talked a little bit about screening surveillance, but there's something else that's called a diagnostic colonoscopy, somebody who's got symptoms. And so what are some of the symptoms of colorectal cancer that may, spurn somebody to get a scope of some sort or an evaluation of some sort that may be even a little bit outside of the guidelines that we're talking about today?
1: So when colon cancer presents with some sort of symptom, uh, it could be bleeding. So if you see a little blood in your stool, that's something that makes us think about cancer. Some people, their stool starts changing shapes. So if you think about it, there's something in your colon and that's going to change the shape of your stool. Um, So if it becomes more narrow, if you have a change in your stool habits, so if let's say you now have a lot of diarrhea or a lot of constipation that goes for more than a week or so, that's a symptom. if you've been losing blood and you don't know it, a lot of us can't see the bleeding, your blood counts drop. And when your blood counts drop, you get more winded, you get shorter breath, you feel lightheaded. And then if you're losing weight, and we can't explain why, if it's not because you're dieting, you're just losing weight, that's also a reason. Interestingly, abdominal pain is rather rare. Now, something I want to emphasize here is the reason screening is so important and so effective is because colon cancer usually doesn't present with symptoms until it's at a later stage. So we have 10 or 20 years to find it when you don't have symptoms.
0: So final take-home message for our listeners as it pertains to kind of screening guidelines. What is the take-home message that you want our listeners to reveal and say, I need to do this?
1: Yeah. Out of all the cancers that we have, colon cancer is one of the most preventable. And it's fortunate we have so many different tests that we can use to look for colon cancer. So if you find a colonoscopy daunting, don't worry. Uh, ask your physician and we can talk about all the various methods you have to find colon
0: cancer. Well, that's wonderful stuff. And I couldn't agree more as a colorectal surgeon. And so we always like to wind up with our guests they'll know a little bit more about you with some quick hitters. So what is your favorite sport? Uh, tennis. What is your favorite food? Cheese, anything with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last non-medical book that you've read?
1: Uh, Theory of Everything with Stephen
0: Hawking. And finally, tell us something that you like here about beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Uh,
1: I love the uh, the public park system. So in the winter, that's cross-country skiing, and in the
0: summer, it's a lot of running. I could not agree more. So to learn more about colorectal cancer prevention and treatment, please visit Cleveland Clinic dot org slash colon cancer. That's dot org slash colon cancer. And for additional information or to schedule a colonoscopy, please call 216 That's 216 7000 Gotham, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thank you for having me. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.